This is Siren Coffee and Science, hot topics in health and social care integration. Welcome to Coffee and Science, a webinar and podcast series produced by the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network, or SIREN, here at the University of California, San Francisco. For those of you who don't already know who we are, our mission is to catalyze and disseminate research on healthcare sector efforts to identify, accommodate, or intervene on social conditions like food and housing insecurity and other manifestations of poverty or social disadvantage. Based on our growing recognition that health is shaped by social factors, these kinds of social care practices and mechanisms to pay for them have been rapidly evolving at local, state, and federal levels. But which social care practices affect health outcomes and how to implement and study them is not always straightforward. In order to foster more dialogue about this growing healthcare field, we're launching the 2021 Siren Coffee and Science series. Coffee and Science Conversations ask smart thinkers to weigh in on the evidence, evidence gaps, and outstanding challenges facing healthcare systems trying to do more, or sometimes just do differently, in social care to improve health. We hope all our stakeholders, whether health system leaders, policymakers, practitioners, researchers, payers, or allies from other sectors, will find these conversations helpful in charting the work ahead. To set the stage for the live events of the 2021 Siren Coffee and Science Conversations, we've invited Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo to join us. Dr. Bibbins-Domingo is the inaugural Vice Dean for Population Health and Health Equity at the UCSF School of Medicine and co-founder of the UCSF Center for Vulnerable Populations, which generates actionable research to increase health equity and reduce health disparities in at-risk populations. Dr. Bibbins-Domingo is also Professor and Chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics and Professor of Medicine at UCSF. Based on her tremendous expertise, Dr. Bibbins-Domingo was asked to chair the National Academy of Sciences Engineering and Medicine Committee on Integrating Social Care into Healthcare to Improve the Nation's Health, which was established precisely to explore some of the tough questions we'll be thinking about together throughout the year. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you. So now you can add inaugural guest of the Siren Coffee and Science series to your interview. This is so great. <laughs> I am really honored and actually thrilled that you're you're doing this. I think it's it's great to have a discussion um, about this really important set of topics. Yeah, thank you so much for being willing to do this with us. So let's lay the groundwork here for our conversation by having you share a little about the NASM committee that you chaired in 2018 and 2019. What was the committee's charge and what's your sense of why that committee was convened in 2018 and not 10 years prior? Yes, it's very interesting because we have decades of research telling us that health is more than just what we deliver in the healthcare setting, that the the social circumstances where people live, work, play really is is the groundwork and framing for health. The inequities that we see structurally are in the the broader environment relate directly to the inequities that we see in health. And so why this committee charged in this way now 
the committee was really charged to ask a very specific set of questions around integrating social care, social needs care into the delivery of healthcare to recognize the broader context, but to think specifically about the healthcare setting. And I think the reason the committee was charged that way is because of the great need and urgency and uh, recognition of social determinants of health, social needs of individuals, families, communities, but that the failure to address this over time was really not allowing us in healthcare to be able to do the things we want to do and need to do for our patients in healthcare. That's first. And then recognizing that this was absolutely going to require many sectors coming together, even if we were focused in the healthcare delivery space. And then thirdly, is that pragmatic aspect that, well, this is a big problem that we absolutely need to solve if we are going to address health. And healthcare, because it probably has a little bit more money, might be better able to, we might be better able to focus. And it's that last one that is that is both a, it's a pragmatic consideration, it's a very real consideration. It reflects the fact that healthcare is recognizing we need to do something because we're not meeting our healthcare goals because we can't do this for our patients. But there are problems when we only focus on the healthcare setting. And so I think that's both the yin and the yang of of framing the charge the way it was framed. I remember as the committee was starting to develop that there were a lot of different organizations that were interested in this report. Can you describe a little bit about the people who invested in making this happen? There were, I think, all of the schools of social work, uh, together with the professional societies and advocacy groups related to social workers, really were a major driving force. I think there were maybe uh, a dozen or more other major foundations and funders who put money behind this. And I think it reflects the fact that there were multiple stakeholders who were interested in this idea. And I think that uh, set of funders that pushed the academies to charge this committee reflects both the broad set of interests and the diverse sets of interest in this particular topic. And the way the committee was formed, which really had people who were physicians, uh, social workers, people who work in financing of of healthcare, people who think in government sectors, people who think in community-based organizations. I think that the diverse sets of funders pushing on this topic also resulted in this committee and the, the broad types of people who served on this committee. I mean, I can say as a committee member, it was awfully fun because I learned from a very diverse set of people who brought different perspectives to that work. It was really extraordinary. Yeah, Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And often, I imagine, really hard to chair. Uh, Yeah. Well done. Well done. (laughs) You know, it was really fun. And um, and I think it was fun because it's a big topic, right? There was some things were hard. It's a big topic. It is a topic that was framed in a very specific way. And so there was always this push-pull of like, it's framed in this very specific way around healthcare delivery. And even though we all understand there are many things we'd like to change in the world, but here we are trying to think about what we would change in healthcare delivery. And so I I think that was hard. And I I think, as you know, part of the challenge here was understanding the really critical decades of science and evidence that underlies this 
but that also we don't have a lot of tried and true paths for doing this. And so we were not going to review things that just said, oh yeah, this is the one or two ways to do this. Rather probably better for us as a committee to provide the framework to say, here are the essential elements to do this. And then push people to say, try things because we really need to have more evidence and demonstrations in this space. You've given me the perfect segue to my next question, which is related to that framework. So as you know, the coffee and science series that we're doing in the coming year stems directly from the framework that the committee developed, which at Siren we found very helpful for organizing our social care related research. So for our current and future listeners, can you describe that framework that the committee developed to categorize different types of healthcare activities related to social care? Maybe just give us a sense of what those five components are and how you define them, especially for people who, you know, may never have read the report. Right. Let me tell you how I think about this, about the, somebody who, who thinks in about the scholarship in this area and where we'd like to ultimately get, as well as a, a person who thinks about this, what do I think about in taking care of the patient in front of me? I think this 5A framework, again, we wanted to just give a framework. We realized in the committee that we were sometimes talking about different things when we were talking about the interventions that we would engage in to address the social needs of our patients. Some of those are directly related to the social need of an individual patient. So what do we do in the clinical setting, in the clinical encounter when that patient is in front of you, you understand that there's a particular social need that needs to be addressed. What are the strategies to do that, that a healthcare team generally can employ and, and think about employing more systematically? But there are also sets of interventions that say, health delivery systems don't need to just operate one patient at a time. They can think about the groups of patients, the communities that they serve, and recognize that some of these social needs would be solved better by thinking more broadly. And so this 5A framework really recognizes that healthcare systems want to be operating at both of these levels all the time, and healthcare practitioners want to be thinking at both of these levels all the time. In the center of the 5As, is awareness. And I think about awareness both that says that an individual clinician should be aware that social needs are important and understand the social needs of their patient. I understand awareness also that as thought leaders in healthcare or as leaders in your particular climate, that one should be aware this is a goal if we want to, to achieve the outcomes we all aspire to for our patients and our organizations, that we need to be aware that this is a critical component. So awareness is the first A. And I think in our framework, it sits actually in the center because it is the center and where we all start. At the top of the framework are the two types of classifications of interventions that really relate to how we take care of an individual patient. We might provide assistance to address a particular uh, social need that a patient has. Uh, that might mean providing a referral to a food bank. It might mean providing food that might be available within the context of your health delivery system because we increasingly recognize the dire need to address food insecurity. So assistance is that first, either referral out or addressing a particular need in the clinic. Adjustment means that we can change the way in which we provide care to minimize the burden of that particular social need for a patient. 
So that might mean if a patient is traveling for a long distance to get there, and that is the barrier that needs to be addressed, that we might do a telehealth visits to uh, minimize that particular barrier. Uh, so adjusting how we provide care, how we think about a formulary for a particular patient, a set of prescriptions for a particular patient that recognize the particular social context within which a patient lives and creating a medication regimen or a therapeutic regimen that recognizes that. So those are assistance and adjustment are at the top and the bottom is alignment and advocacy. So the bottom, not because it's less important, but because it is a different set of activities than one patient at a time is saying some of these challenges of social needs really can be addressed better if we align with other organizations in our community, change the structural barriers that might be present in a particular community related to food or housing or transportation. A health delivery organization in partnership with other types of community organizations, other types of sectors. And then the last one is advocacy. It is recognizing that sometimes uh, we can work in alignment but we also might be needing to collectively advocate for changes in policies that might reduce the barriers, address the needs that might be faced by many in a community, and that we have an important role as advocates to do that in partnership with others as well. Kirsten, this is the first time that I've heard you describe the 5A framework where it really strikes me that you know, you're the perfect person to have chaired the committee and also to to be sharing this with our listeners today in your role as the Vice Dean of Population Health and Health Equity, because I really feel like the framework is a great framework also for people who are doing population health and struggling with that tension between kind of population health management, the people in your health services system, and then population health, which is really much more at the community level. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think it speaks to the fact that the need is so great. We have to work deliberately at this point right now for the needs that are, as clinicians sitting for us, and patient that sits in front of us, for systems, for the sets of things that we're doing now. But we also want to be thinking aspirationally, right? We can't just be stuck in the one way of thinking about uh, the referral I always make to the same group. Uh, in order to address this need. We also have to be thinking, how could we think differently? What could be different about this relationship that would allow it to be much easier for sets of patients? And I think that that is that tension of population management and population health. Population health is where we all aspire to be. Some of our strategies along the way are critical because they move us in these incremental ways. But sometimes we also want to be willing to think about how we could do things a little bit differently. And I think that is both a theme that ran through the committee and I think is really embedded if you think about the five A's as well. It's not all a bed of roses, right? So tell us a little bit about what you think the biggest challenges are related to the framework and maybe each of the categories of the framework. I know the committee touched on this, but I'm, I'm also interested in your kind of personal reflection on what you've seen in, in your role uh, at UCSF and then nationally. Where are people getting stuck? This is an area that I know you have thought a lot about. So awareness is good. So what does awareness mean? So we're in a healthcare setting and awareness oftentimes means well, let's do a screener, collect all the data, put that into the computer, because now we know we're aware of, of those things, right? That's usually, that tends to be where we go. It's a good thing. It's sort of driven by our 
data-driven choices and we have a health information system. And I think in many ways, awareness is that, but it is obviously much more than that and only works if we can really think about those next oftentimes really hard steps, right? Of what does it mean now to be aware as we want to be? What does it mean to think about assistance? And I remember one of my person who is who I think of as my one of my most cherished clinical mentors saying to me on another committee that I worked on about how we could integrate knowledge like this into the electronic health record saying to me please don't give me one more thing I have to check the box on because I cannot do that one more thing and this is somebody who is absolutely aware of the social needs of her patients right somebody who teaches all of us about how to do that But it's that how do we operationalize it that oftentimes ties us in a knot of something else we check the box on. Now that we have collected data, what are we going to do with that? The referrals are actually really the hard part, right? Um, And I think uh, it's the hard part because the partnerships with the groups that we refer to are hard, not because we don't want to do the right thing, but because because we are oftentimes talking about a social safety net that's also stretched, that the communication flows are not easier, that even within a healthcare team, this requires partnerships within a healthcare team, right? This requires a clinician and a social worker thinking together about what the right way to do this. It requires a clinic manager to thinking about what are the workflows that allow us to capture the data and make the referral smoothly so that the patient experiences this as addressing their need as opposed to another barrier we've imposed on them. I think it's those operational things. I remember on the committee, we have a great piece on that report, which is on about implementation. And implementation here, and I don't want to say it's hard so that people say, well, we should never do it. It's hard in the way that something that's really important requires smart minds to come together and say, how does this work in your clinic? How are you going to do this? And and it does require everyone coming together and saying, we have this goal. The goal is super important. It can be achieved, but let's think about how we are going to do it so that we can do it really for our patients. That is super thoughtful. Um, And yeah, that implementation chapter is pretty meaty. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it shouldn't scare people off, but I think it should tell you, yeah, this is not just like, oh yeah, social needs, we're going to do that next week. It's like, no, let's think how we're going to do it really. So tell us, what do you think the biggest challenges are right now to alignment and advocacy activities? I mean, that's a, that's a whole different can of worms. Yeah, it's, it's a really good time. I'm thinking about this a lot with COVID because, uh, you know, in some ways COVID um, has accelerated our understanding of social needs as understanding that we we have to do something if we're going to achieve the outcomes, particularly in our most of vulnerable patients and communities. I, I, I think COVID has helped us to think about innovation in a different way, um, about a lot of in telehealth and other types of things, but you still start to see sort of the, the barriers with alignment. And a lot of the barriers with alignment are that healthcare systems are still funded better and the social safety net, our partners, um, the community-based organizations, they, need to be equal partners, but they are not resourced in the same way. Um, and so that gap in resources is itself is itself a challenge. That gap in resources plays itself out because uh, as you know in the report, there's a there's a chapter just how if we had data systems that could really link 
uh, and make these referrals smoother so that when I uh, refer a patient to um, supportive housing, that I would know that they've ended up there and, um, and have actually gotten that. That would be a, a, make things a lot, a lot easier. But th- those types of information systems are not in place because there's been under-resourcing on the social sector side, because they're governed by different systems of privacy, um, uh, because they have different rules. And because frankly, as you know, from also being a physician, we don't wanna create another EHR in the social safety (laughs) because God forbid anyone else should have an EHR. (laughs) But we do have to find ways that our data makes it easier. I think the financing is a real challenge There are people who are thinking about how to get around or how to use the existing financing structures to push the boundaries of what we we can do. But the fact that benefits that we accrue don't always accrue to the person who's paid for those benefits is one of those little bit of a challenges in, in who has a responsibility to pay for these things. I think one of the things that really was inspiring in the report is how many people are trying ways to push the boundaries on this, trying to think outside the box, trying to think in really multi-sector partnerships to really change what's possible within a region or a town or an area. And I think that's what's going to be required because inherently there's a lot that leads us to think only in our own little silos and sectors and things like data and financing don't help that. And that's why it takes people who are willing to think just about what's good for the whole community and the population uh, to say, well, yeah, we could do that if we thought a little bit differently about it. I want to just pull on that thread that is about COVID because since you raised it, um, I know you've been very involved in the San Francisco specific COVID-19 response, but you've also been interviewed by the New York Times, the LA Times, PBS News Hour, ABC News. You're famous. <laughs> it does seem like it's a good question for you. Um, you touched on this already about kind of how COVID-19 has affected the healthcare sector's activities around social care. I want to extend that a little bit to what, is there anything from the report that you use in thinking about what you're going to say in the New York Times or any piece that you wish that people who are deepening their own COVID responses in their communities, is there any lesson from the report you feel is relevant to, to what they're doing? Well, I have to say, so one of the things that we're very proud of at our institution has been the response addressing COVID in our area in the Latino community has been particularly devastated uh, by COVID. And I think one of the ways in which we have designed really strong sets of partnerships and structures um, has to do with the fact that it was, it is not an accident that it was clinicians who were seeing the needs of patients they were seeing clinically that were not being addressed. They knew that the patient they might be advising related to COVID, that there was not a chance that they could, in their multi-generational household, do the isolation that was going to be required when I said that. There was not a way uh, for a family where the the breadwinner was now taken out because of COVID could address the uh, food insecurity that had been existing in the community for a long time. So the initial work that that many at UCSF have been leading has really been about going into the community with community partnerships, businesses, advocacy organizations to say, we wanna bring our expertise, which is in this case, testing 
but we want to partner with you to that follow-up to testing, to bringing food into the home, to um, making sure you get follow-up care and you go to your family visit. I think what has been so powerful to me and the number of times I hear my colleagues say to me, I've done community engaged work for a long time and I've never done anything as powerful as this. And I think, I think it really speaks to the power of these sort of multi-sector partnerships, not just to think about addressing the needs for individuals or communities, but also to have this sustained long-term partnership, which is what's really developing. And when you, when you have this sustained partnership, I think what we've seen is that these groups have been able to advocate successfully for changes at the policy level. Um, so in San Francisco, we have a right to recover fund, which basically funds the wages for low wage workers who cannot work because they have a COVID diagnosis that came entirely out of partnerships, really from clinicians, from these community groups from thinking about testing and understanding the needs that actually were preventing people from doing the things that we all advise them to do when we're when somebody tests positive, but then changing policy to actually make it easier for them to do this. I think you start to see something that uh, started with individual needs, starting with how we meet the individual needs to test, to provide the ability for people to isolate and quarantine, but to doing it in partnership with others really then transforms the models for for how we we think what might be done long-term. It's not without its challenges. And I would say the the challenges for me are also the lessons in this report. The challenges are that the public health sector sits here and medical care sits here. And in the ideal world, these would sit much more closely together and we would both be addressing the social needs of communities the healthcare system from the perspective of the patients they take care of, public health thinking in the broader population lens all the time. But in, in a pandemic, thinking we both are essentially responsible for the same sets of activities. Unfortunately, you've also seen during the time of COVID, medical care having a very medical response, right? You only get tested if you have symptoms, come to us, make an appointment, right? And that all of the other thing of the outreach is really sitting in this this realm that looks a lot more like public health, looks a lot more like policy. And I think the opportunity, if I could uh, wish for something to, to happen more closely, would be for not just individual clinicians seeing and creating structures to do this, but health systems really leaning in and saying, you know, we've paid a lot of lip service to population health for a long time, but this is our moment. We could actually move a little bit more into this space. And that, I will say, frankly, hasn't happened as quickly as I, I would have liked. Very thoughtful response, Kirsten. I will say that I have been totally struck during the pandemic by the speed with which the healthcare sector has overcome some of the resistance to asking patients about housing or food security, which uh, even a year ago, we were hearing a lot more, we can't do that. That's not possible for us, even in San Francisco. Interesting. Yeah. But I really appreciate your point that even if we change some things about the individual level care, we need to leverage the strength and commitment and investment of the healthcare system in then 
finding solutions and partnering with the community to figure out what we do next. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And I, I, I'm so glad you brought it up. I do think the report and then COVID, everyone, every all the forces are aligned pushing healthcare systems to say, yeah, this is your space. You've got to step into this space and figure out what to do. And I, I agree with you. I love that, you know, even in March and April that we're teaching residents their script for, you know, how to deal with COVID patients is social needs, right? That That is exactly the who lives with you. And so I, I think you're exactly right. And that really has been something that has pushed forward. I would love us to keep pushing. I would love us to, to keep pushing. And I, you know, as we look to the end of this pandemic with the vaccinations, my, my view is that it will really require, if, if health systems are willing to lean in and step into the space a little bit more, they will have a powerful role in making sure that we, we uh, continue to get testing and vaccinations to all of the communities that need it. Because when health systems step into this and say, this is my responsibility, they start to create solutions to, to the problem. I think if health systems lean back and say, yeah, I'm going to vaccinate everyone who walks into my door. If they say yes, I, I think then they won't have leaned into to all of the social, structural, and mistrust issues that sit with vaccinations and have at their root a lot of times all of these other both historic and, and active sort of social needs. And health systems, this is where I would like to see health systems really partnering with others to, to be part of those discussions because they have such an important role to to play, even recognizing that they also have done very much already in the pandemic. I have one more question that I, I will throw out just as we close, and then I certainly want to invite you to share anything you'd like with our listeners. But I'm struck by, you know, we started with saying, gosh, there were a lot of organizations who invested in that National Academies Committee, right? Yeah. But with all the tragedy and turmoil of 2020, it's a little bit hard to know how to keep the report's findings in the conversation. So the last question that I would throw out to you is what can we collectively do to make sure that the committee's work is translated to practice and policy, including payment reform? As you reflect on the work that went into that and where we are now in history, what can we do to keep that work at the center? My hope is that both the experience during COVID as well as what we look forward to over the next month, I, I don't think we have to convince anyone that, that social needs are important, that we are not going to achieve the outcomes we're going to achieve unless we can address those social needs. So in some ways, the awareness piece we've already accomplished, and that's what we have to continue to just keep pushing forward. I think the challenge is, is that everyone is strapped, right? You know, we're also in the middle of a financial piece and, and people are strapped in just in terms of bandwidth. You know, as we continue to move forward, um, we want to not forget the awareness and then continue to push on the things that are going to be important, both for transforming our own systems and for thinking in partnerships for what we can do locally and regionally. We will be living in, a, in an environment where what we can do, whether it's federally or statewide, I, I think will be shifting. We'll be living in a slightly different environment. And I guess what I would say, and maybe because I'm a glass half full type of person, is that, and what I learned from the report, frankly, is that, is that you know, these are big problems, but people have to take the first step, right? They have to take the first step to start to do something. And I guess my hope would be that we can take 
what is a generally accepted awareness? Everyone interview I start starts with, well, yes, we all know that social, social needs are important for patients, that social determinants of health are important, that there are big disparities in COVID-19. So everyone now starts with that assumption and that that would be important for providing care and I think hopefully as, as we look to a time when we can think more deliberatively about whether it's financing or our organization of our healthcare institutions or anything else, that we don't forget that awareness, but think about the next one, two or three steps that we can engage in. It's so funny because I love the frameworks and working on this, but the other thing is, is that each solution really relies on the solution you develop in your own environment, in your own local environment, whether that's your own clinic or your own local environment with your local partners. And that, that requires people just stepping forward and saying, well, what can we do? Not waiting for like some magic bullet to come from, from somewhere else. And I think that, that's what my hope is. And I think when I've talked around the country, you're right, people are fatigued and distracted by lots of other things, but they also are developing responses. And I, I hope that some of those could be sustained to something bigger. That is a beautiful way to end our first coffee and science conversation. Kirsten, thank you so much for reflecting on the report, but also just generally for taking the time to talk with us today. Please stay safe. Thank you for all you are doing. Your entire community, thanks you. Well, thank you, Laura. And I, I really am glad that you're launching these discussions. Looking forward to more of them. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Siren Coffee and Science series, a project of the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network at UCSF. Raven Forest Communications does our editing and sound design. Susan Shepard designed our cover art, and Aurelien Jukla composed our music. Laura Gottlieb, Dylan Gonzalez, and Yuri Cartier, that's me, produce the podcast and the live event series. Join us for our next live event by visiting sirenetwork.ucsf.edu. Questions or comments? Email us at siren at ucsf.edu. And lastly, let it be known that the views and opinions of the participants on this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the regents of the University of California, UCSF, UCSF Medical Center, or any entities or units thereof. Take care.